Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 51st episode of the Truth Island podcast. Today, I'm going to share with you a poem, The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could. To where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair. And having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though, as for that passing there, had warned them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this was a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Life can be said to be a series of choices, with each turn promising one thing or the other. But with each and every turn, we may lose something. Take, for example, the man who gives up his musical aspirations in order to take on a more secure job at an accounting house in order to support his family. On one hand, the man is making a noble choice to support his family and being blessed with the fruits of having children who will one day carry on his legacy. But on the other hand, the choice to start a family and give up personal aspirations comes at a cost of not actualizing full potential. In each choice, something is always gained, but something is always lost. For most of us, however, we make many of these choices without even realizing that we had any say in the matter. We go to school, we get the best job that our specific talents and abilities allow us to have, and we often find ourselves following a road that is perhaps not the one that we want to be following, but the one that has the most footprints. As humans, we have an aversion to breaking away from the safety of our numbers. And this in turn has led many of us to, well, not take the road less traveled. Joining me to help me understand some of the choices that we make in life, I am joined with Cotton. Cotton, how do we know exactly if we're embarking on the right trail in life? I don't think that we might really know at the moment. The choices are kind of evident because when you have something that's pretty much blatant, you know, I have to do this, I have to, what job should I get? Where, what career should I take? Those are kind of already easily um, graspable, but there are other things that you don't realize until maybe a few years down the line that you have taken such a choice. What I like about this poem is that it just, there's so many entendres, you know, going linear, going suspension in time and backwards, you know, in your life experiences. So there's a lot that you can 
glean from this poem. And I'm glad that you were able to read it. Yeah, I like what you're saying about us not knowing if we've taken the road until it's like already too late or it's been a few years later. And then a lot of us have these like pivotal moments in life where we're like, oh man, I should have taken that job that paid a lot less money, would have, but would have led me to feel happier. As we you know, embark upon more roads, whether these are the right or wrong roads, do you think that you know there's maybe some intuition or, or something that we can start gathering that that will allow us to maybe best you know start understanding ourselves and understanding what roads we should and should not be taking? I you know I kind of believe, and I don't want to get into religion, etc. Some sort of destination in mind, and you know I think you know folks could agree and still apply this to their lives. It's not a single destination. It's like a whole map, very intricate map, and you can end up any any points along the way. One decision probably would impact the next de- decision along the way, right? And and that's when I guess people do have regrets. Let's say you make five steps from the original or the mid, some decision along the way, and you look back, oh, did I make the right decision? You know, would I be at another point had I met? made a different decision. I guess if you were considered those decisions as mistakes, and uh, if you're not currently happy with the current position, you may think of those previous decisions as mistakes. And then people do say, learn from your mistakes, right? So then you know not to go this way. In the future, you might do things differently. But I kind of think that it's like a single person's journey, really. Um, you you know whether you should go this way or that way. Because if you don't make the decision that's correct for you, you're going to have a lot of angst. You know? <laughs> and then there's some reworking. And that's why I always say, like, there's a linear path and that there's more like the tortuous path. And I think any path works for the individual. I think it's also important to not, like, even if you've gone through some many, you know, many, if you've taken wrong turns, I think it's this idea of regret that is something that we should probably avoid as well. Because I I think once we've chosen that road, and and regardless of whether, like, later on in life, we say, oh, man, that was totally the wrong road, if there's nothing that we can really do about it, we can't, we obviously can't go back in time and change what path we took. But we can learn from that experience and then choose better paths. But I think this idea of, of just sitting there and lamenting and regretting wrong turns that we've taken is just not helpful. Oh, absolutely. That's another one of my philosophies. Um, and I know plenty of people who wallow in regret a good part of their adult lives. Hmm. And I don't think that helped them much. So I think it kind of stunts the progression, like you kind of stop in the middle of the road and say, hey, maybe this is not the right road. And then you know that going back is not going to maybe get you anywhere better, but you wish that you had done it. And it's mostly just kind of wishful thinking. It's kind of hypothetical. It doesn't help you go backward or forward. So that's why I always tell people regrets are futile. You know, you just keep moving forward. And and it's good that sometimes you don't even know what you're doing. And you look back maybe several decades and you say, 
oh, is that what I did? And that was stupid, but I ended up here. And I can explain many of um, the decisions that I made in my life. And it's very questionable at the moment and probably even looking back questionable, but it, it all makes sense now. Uh, the regret is really a waste of energy, not to sound preachy, but make a decision. And as you guys would say, own it, you know, <laughs> I love I love what you're saying about regret stunting growth. I think that's a phenomenal point that you just made there, because when we are spending time regretting something, we're, oh, I'm regretting my marriage. I'm regretting that relationship. I'm regretting the years I wasted that job. You're not looking at future pathways that may lay before you. You know what I mean? Because like if you're if you're just looking backwards all the time at all the paths that you may have taken the wrong turn on, there might be a hundred more paths in front of you that you're not even paying attention to. Exactly. It's kind of just a different way of looking at life, you know, different kind of glasses. You know, you're looking at things that you're, you're just actually not even looking at your own life. Because if you look at your own life, I think people can deal with it. But if you're looking at another person's life, you know, it's, it seems like regret always involves someone else or some, some external force. For example, if let's say you, you were playing the piano and you were a superstar when you were younger and then you, did, you gave it up or something, and then you can say, oh, I gave it up. You can always pick it up, but it could be because, oh, I don't play now. I, I don't play as well, or I could have played better. I could have done this. So it's kind of not really where you're, where you are at the present moment. It's not your life, really. It's kind of like someone else's life. It could be your previous self's life. It could be what you could have in the future life, but it's really not your life. Yes, yes. I love what you're, because I think that this gets into this idea of envy. And I know, and I've actually been more mindful of this as of late. Like, for example, one thing, I only speak English, right? I only learned one language. And it's sometimes like I, I'm embarrassed by it. But when I feel the most embarrassed about it is when I hear someone else like speaking five different languages. And then like I have all of this regret of like, oh, Aaron, you should have taken yourself more seriously in French and Spanish class and all this other stuff. But the, the bottom line is, is that those are not my paths and those weren't necessarily the turns that I took. And I wasn't even thinking about that until I kind of rubbed elbows with somebody who does do that. But I think thinking about, well, they were, they were like, if we're talking about paths, maybe they were just in a whole nother forest to begin with. Yeah, that's true. But my philosophy also is that it's never too late. Yes. Yes. And there's always the right time. For example, I tell myself, you know, I played the violin. And I, it, I didn't play for decades and decades and decades. And I picked it up about 10 years ago. And then, you know, I just made up for the difference in the time, just work so vigorously. However, then I would think if I had picked it up 20 years sooner, I could have been that much more. But I think that was just the right time. Wow. Uh, Can I know, ask you about the violin a little bit? What, so you, what made you pick it up later in life? I'm just curious, was there, did you watch a performance or, or what, what got into your head that said, let me, let me go back to this. Yeah. So I played the violin when I was in 
teen, a preteen, middle school, I guess, whatever, whatever it's called in those days or these days. <laughs> um, and I've, I, I also play the piano. I've played piano always. So very musical. I love music, classical music. And my children, all of them, most of them, I would tell them, you can pick, you have a choice to pick an instrument. <laughs> you, have to, you have to, you know, play the instrument. But anyway, to make, to fast forward it's a like bit. It's like broccoli or carrots, right? <laughs> pick your instrument. At, at least two of them um, were in orchestra, right? Youth symphonies or school orchestras. And me, you know, I went to every single one of the performances, the cheerleader, da, da, da. And then it dawned on me after going through it for about a decade, I'm like, wait a minute, how come I don't play it? You know, why am I watching? And at that time, <clears throat> I was kind of getting on in my years, you know, like, let's say over 40, you know, getting into too much detail of my age. Um, and uh, so I thought it was a total craziness. I still call it a miracle. In fact, for me, it, it was kind of a vision. I saw a vision, meaning I just... Uh, not a vision like a, seeing a ghost or something, but I saw this kind of a New Yorker cartoon and it had this really old people string quartet. It just really old, like they were all hunched over, but they're playing and I'm like, hey, I think maybe I could do that, maybe. And I just thought about it and somehow I just had that vision and then things just happened along the way. Mm. And that's a lot of how things work for me. I just get some sort of wish or a vision and then either I do it unconsciously or things just kind of fall into place so that it happens. Now, I love I love what you're saying here, because this story could have gone in another direction. You could have been taking your kids to these recitals and things of that sort. And you could have also fallen into despair. You could have said, man, my, my time is over. I hope my kids do well at this, but my, my time at doing this is now over and it's too late for me. And, you know, whether or not you're ever going to get a claim playing an instrument is irrelevant. What's important is that you took a path forward and it doesn't matter how successful you are in that path forward. It's just that choosing that path forward is going to personally make you feel better. Would you say that that's a fair assessment? Oh yeah, definitely. For me, again, I don't, I just, you know, you get a deck of cards and you play with it. That's kind of my, always the way I think. And of course, when you told me, Oh, you could have taken the other path where I said the kids could take over. I live vicariously and I laugh. <laughs> because I, I also do that. For example, I do I do do that, let's say, um, because I also love to languages. So my children are even at my age, I think I like to move abroad and live there, learn a new language and even go to school and this and that. And um, that thing. I don't think I'm going to be able to take that road. Who knows, right? <laughs> I may do that again. Once I get that inception, like vision, it somehow happens. So sometimes I think, oh, that's a little bit far reaching, you know, because I think about my age or the current situation, that kind of thing. But I think anything is possible, really. I mean, I might end up on the street, maybe there, you know. <laughs> but the, 
you have to kind of use somehow your brain. But, you know, here's what I always tell my children. And I guess this also follows along with the poem is, you know, Joseph Campbell. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the him, hero's journey. Yeah. Yeah. He is one of my heroes as well. Jordan Peterson, Carl Jung, all those good guys. And when he when I read this passage, it's just a little snippet. I don't remember the entire passage, but it ultimately comes with follow your bliss. Hmm. And this is. I would consider where you where you write at your decision that makes you just move just past the junction of the decision. Okay, some people don't follow their bliss, and that could be one path. And then some people follow their bliss. And I tell my kids follow their bliss. Okay, of course, I try to save money so they, just in case the bliss doesn't. <laughs> the bliss may not pay the bills. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, um, so you have to take other things into consideration, but I wish I had um, his quote just handy because it's so exquisite and it's just a way to, and I think this poem also is does that. Whatever the road he chose, he had this kind of, um, the first stanza, right? He's looking at it. Should I go this way, that way? And then at the end, he had, a choice led him to where he is today mm. and you know he can say the sigh you know he remembers with the sigh okay maybe there's this flavor of regret maybe I got the sense that he's pretty happy with where he is you know that's the kind of mood I got from his poem yeah I, I think that you well one thing is you don't really have much of a choice but to be happy with where you end up because you can't go back right so it's like you you th- this is kind of like you can't you have choice in choosing the roads that you take but ultimately those roads will take you somewhere and you have no choice but to accept and kind of embrace and and perhaps we could even use the word celebrate where it has taken you, whether that's a very successful life or unsuccessful. I don't I mean, those are all value judgments, but I, I think you have no choice but to be content with whatever road you've chosen for yourself. And I think though that, you know, the one caveat though, is that with each road you take, you need to start learning a lot about yourself. You need to start learning like, okay, I, you know, when I was in my thirties, I walked down that road and I don't really feel too great about that. I need to start choosing some other roads or, you know, when I was 20 in my twenties, I did that and I really loved myself. Maybe I need to start walking along that road again. So you're, there's a difference between like feeling grad and this like remorse of having chosen the wrong roads. But I think there's always this point where we're in the forest where we can always reevaluate. Like you're not, you're not ruminating and you're not just like standing there crying to yourself, but you're carefully dissecting all of the roads you've taken and trying to best suit those roads to who you are as a person. Yes, I agree. Unfortunately, though, many people, perhaps even more people than who, you know, think the way that you've described, they just stay there. They, they, they decide, oh, I made all the bad decisions and this is, this is the, where I'm going to go. Or, you know, maybe they end their life or they take, you know, drugs, or they just, you know, make more and more decisions where they decide it's very, you know, it what's the, what's the point? It's bleak anyway. Sometimes I wonder when I see people kind of in a bad situation, how, why, of course, you know, sometimes 
it's a it's not um, within your control, of course, you know, but I wish everybody would say, hey, you know, I'm here and I did things good and I did I did things well and not so well in my past and maybe I'll learn from it and go this way, but wherever I wish more people would think that way. And maybe this um, discussion, the last stanza, that is it, I think. That's my interpretation where, you know, he's remembering the road that he took or the road not taken. See that that's the title of it, right? And he says, I, I remember this with a sigh sigh that usually means usually some, some some sort of like wistfulness right like a maybe regret but he says but i took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference yes it's made i like that it's made all the difference meaning like i i i personally interpret that as in like it's made me who i am today for better or worse and there there might be some size along the way but ultimately you are the person you are because of the choices you've made and the roads that you have traveled and you know the experiences if you went to college if you were in the military that ultimately makes who you are you may not feel great about all of those decisions but the the person looking your you know the person you look at in the mirror is ultimately the sum of your choices in, in many respects there are obviously the choice to be born male or female and other things like that are, are are not a choice we never had a road or a pathway to choose but for most things in life what we accomplish or what we fail to accomplish really depends on the pathways and roads that we've taken now i also want to address something that you brought up earlier about you know some people get start, stuck in the forest and what if i were to tell you cotton that like being a teacher, I've actually met 16, 17, 18 year olds who feel like they, they can't fix their lives. Because like, you know, we always think that it's like really older people that are like, man, I, you know, I'm 75, I'm 80 now. There's no way I'm going to do that. And there might be some truth in that, right? I think it's really hard for an 85 year old to go and, and, and you know, and get their PhD in biology or something. But it kind of saddens me because I think that even when you're young, there are young people who think that they don't have a choice. And I always say you feel your oldest at whatever age you currently are. So a 16 year old feels really, 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 really old because that's the oldest age that they have reached. So I think that we all, whatever age we are, we always fall into this trap of like, I'm super old now and there's no way that I can change. Well, I am old, well, older than you or many people, but I don't feel old. I mean, oh. I, I I say my age, you know, I don't say it because I want to be ladylike. <laughs> That's okay. Old-fashioned old way. But uh, so, yeah, it's, I don't want to say this, it might sound harsh, but here's the thing, going back to the road analogy, what's, what's happening now, at least today's 18, 16, 17, 18 year old, unlike those say from 50 years ago, um, they know too much. They have too much information. They know too much um, going down the, the road. They know what happens, A, B, C, D, all of the consequences. At least that's what they think they know. And then they kind of just agonize over that. And that, I think last night I, I attended some mindfulness um, session and um, somebody was saying that if you look back, it's kind of maybe leads to depression, but if you go 
too much into the future, it causes anxiety. Hmm. You know, a lot of unknown. See, it's unknown, but they know. So what I attribute that is kind of a lack of the adventure spirit. I mean, <laughs> why not just make a decision and be surprised, right? Yeah. And it could be very frightening. And, you know, I don't want to just say just do it because I also want to be cautious and have a roof over my head and for my children or for anyone, right? And have food to eat. But I think things will be taken care of. It will work out. So make that jump and don't be so worried. You know, I think maybe a lot of younger people have a lot of roadmaps and maybe roadmaps aren't necessarily the best thing at at all times. I'll even give you an example from my own life. When I first started bike riding, you know, obviously I'm not that old, but when I started bike riding, there was no such thing as a phone GPS. So I would just take out my bike and I would get lost sometimes. I would just, I would try and I live in Queens. I would try biking to Manhattan. And sometimes I would just get lost and keep biking around for hours and hours. And then the sun would go down and I get nervous, but oh my God. But let, let me just say, I really learned a lot about New York City by just biking with no GPS. When I don't have any GPS, I learned so many things. I saw so many things by accident and learned so much. And I think there is something to be said about going about life with, with no map and, and sort of just seeing where life takes you. I will kind of say a caveat to that is as you travel more, you start learning, okay, well, this is probably a better road for me. So I think I think I think when you're younger, you should take a lot of twists and turns and end up in some like unconventional areas. I think that's all about self-exploration. I think that as you start learning the pathways, then it's up to you to start choosing routes and, and roads that are more suited to where you'll be happiest. Yeah, that definitely I agree with that. So and yeah, when you kind of don't have a plan sometimes sometimes the plans don't work out or sometimes you you experience things that you wouldn't have experienced if you had like you know kind of a structured plan right right and um well here's where i get a little bit personal maybe and i don't know how relevant this is but i have three children and they were born one in california one in massachusetts one in Where's the third one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where yeah. is that there? Right? Yeah. Anyway, San Diego, Boston, Seattle. Okay. And those are my favorite cities in the entire U- United States. I've lived in other cities too. Um, and I've traveled many places. Those are the three of my favorite places. But of course, you know, I had to pull somebody out of school to go there for whatever reason I did. And and, you know, I had to pull him maybe one away from, you know, his, okay, his family, family members. And, and you know, I didn't do it because I had nothing to do with my life. But somehow I had some sort of, I had to make some sort of this, choose my path. These are my path. I could have just stayed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, worn, but no, I didn't. So I went from San, well, I started with, in Philadelphia to San Diego. And that was another big step. That was a big one of those, the road not taken, or the, road, <laughs> the road less travel steps. Then from San Diego to um, Atlanta, Atlanta to Boston, Boston to Florida, Florida to Seattle. 
So sometimes my children are all grown up and sometimes I feel guilty. I'm like, you know, I'm sorry that I had to pull you out of school or, or the eldest that you had to move so many times. And then, but then, but then I say, but if I didn't, if I had stayed in the same city, your brothers, your brother and sister would not have been born. Because when I moved there, I never thought they were going to be born. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I've actually had the opposite. Like I, I've actually was born in Queens and I've actually stayed here for, for my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I just went to whatever elementary school, whatever middle school, whatever high school I was zoned for, right? I didn't put any thought into it whatsoever. It was, oh, okay, that's the local school. Mm-hmm. Off you go. And I always sometimes wonder of like, well, geez, what if I had pulled myself out of this school and went to that school? Or what if I had attended school in this state? Or what if I had grown up in this area? And would my life have been better? Would I have, would my life have been worse? Would I have rubbed elbows with different types of people? And that would have influenced me and made me into a whole nother person. And there's really no way of actually knowing for sure. You know, something tells me, Cotton, though, that Aaron would have just prevailed the same way, no matter where he was tossed. I do, I do think that we, you know, each of us, and I'm sure your kids, they each have like an essence to them. And and that, and that's, what's going to shine brightest, no matter what environment they're in. Yeah, I do agree. And I was kind of smiling because when you say a different version of Aaron, then I was kind of getting into my quantum, (laughs) quantum physics, the world of alternate universes, which I won't go into, but yeah, my late, my youngest, daughter um she was born in seattle and i was determined to stay in one place like you know i had this wanderlust every 10 years i wanted to move somewhere and Mm. just explore a city back in the back in the day 80s 90s whatever we had like Rand mcnelly maps you know and i'll pick something and find it we didn't have google maps or anything so I would go there and say, oh, everything is so unfamiliar. I don't know anything. By the time I leave, it was so familiar. But anyway, with my daughter, I felt some sort of guilt. Maybe that's that sigh in Robert Frost. <laughs> then I said, after 10 years, I've been living in Seattle for 20 years now. And um, after 10 years, I thought, I want to move. But where? I used up all the good cities. There are <laughs> No, because what you're saying is is true, because no matter what you do, there will always be regret, right? So, you know, whether, because I guarantee you that if you had just stayed put in one place, you'd probably be regretting, oh my God, we missed out on living in all these other cool cities, right? So it's like, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of situation where no matter what you do, there's always going to be a trade-off. There's always something that you're going to have to give up. And that's always going to lead you to, to feel remorse, no matter how successful you end up at the end of the day, I bet even celebrities and I bet even famous people have like a thousand things that they stare out the window and say, oh, if, only, if only I had just married my high school sweetheart or something like that. <laughs> I wonder how many of them say that, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, you know, that's a lot of people, they live their life and you know, I kind of feel for the younger generation because um, I think that I always tell my friends, you know, we, our generation grew up, let's say, in, in a park. Then by analogy, the younger generation is uh, growing up in a jungle. It's mm. so much 
entangled, you know, and there's a lot of danger lurking around, you know, it could be physical or it could be just virtual. Having to adjust, you know, maybe there should be some sort of an adjustment to this poem for the new generation, you know. <laughs> maybe the road is going to be this jungle, you know, you got to pick how do you get from this place to another place. And maybe it's more like survival now, right? Yeah. And if you get out, mostly unscathed, maybe you should congratulate yourself and say, hey, I'm alive, you know. You know, it's funny because I think that, you know, as more opportunities come our way, this actually leads to more anxiety, you know. And and, and the reason for that is if you only had like two choices in life, all right, you're going to be a cabbage farmer or a pumpkin farmer, you decide, all right, well, that's the one big decision you're making there. And then that's it. But now we have all of these like, you know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of opportunities and roads that people can travel. And it, it might overwhelm the human senses to some degree. Like maybe, maybe from a biological standpoint, we weren't meant to, to, you know, apply for thousands of jobs and then lament and, and have anxiety over, each of the directions, each of these thousand jobs would have taken us and so forth. You know, the same thing with like, um, with dating, for example, I think online dating apps probably cause a lot of anxiety because the options are just so plentiful. Whereas maybe in, in, in previous generations, it's like, okay, you go to high school and there's maybe a hundred people in your class, choose one of those people and make a life together. But now you have a thousand people or, or millions of people to choose from. And this is causing a lot of people anxiety when you have just too many options in front of you. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about the current dating environment but from what i just you know glean from popular culture or whatever yeah and it seems like even so i think more people are alone or not finding a meaningful relationship even despite the fact that they have more quantity or maybe the propaganda of society says only these the people that look like these kind of models or celebrities this type is the only people that you should look for, do you know? And I call that propaganda. And that's another, I have a whole list of laments for the, the younger generation, you know? I think this, I call it propaganda, brainwashing, you know? And so it's kind of sad in a way, you know, that it's become like that. But yeah, it, wasn't it Jordan Peterson who said that, was it stress or anxiety is because complexity I, I don't think we like complexity. You know, even I, I get even like a mild sense of anxiety when I go right now. One of my big things is that I avoid shopping malls or clothing stores. Cause I actually feel that there's too much clothing in these places. I, and it actually gives me anxiety. I'm like, Oh, we got Levi's jeans. Oh, we got uh, 505, 501. They got all these numbers and branding. And I'm like, no, no, no. Something about this is terribly wrong. Maybe, maybe I would have less anxiety if there was just a corner store and it was like, okay, size 32, end of story. And they just gave me, because then I don't have to think about it at all. And I think this is something like Steve Jobs said, it's like, I just wore the same clothes over and over again. So I wouldn't have to think about it. So sometimes thinking about too many things is causing us anxiety. And I, I noticed, and I wasn't paying attention to this earlier in life, when I go into a shopping mall, I am just covered and riddled with anxiety, not because there's anything evil with capitalism or materialism, but because of there being too many choices in that mall. 
yeah, I think you have like some sort of sensory overload. But I was just thinking when you said that, I wonder what this poem would have been like if it was 15 rows diverged in a yellow wood. <laughs> I wonder what his would be a very, I wonder what kind of a poem that would have resulted in. I think maybe I should write it. <laughs> yeah, he's only dealing with two roads. Like exactly. I think I think like a hundred and somewhat years later, we're dealing with like hundreds, if not thousands, of different roads. And it yeah. almost it almost like I think maybe when you have two roads, you feel it more because you're like, oh my God, you know, this was the critical juncture in my life. Mm-hmm. Now, now we don't even know where exactly, it's not until we, f- we figure out much later. Like, you know, one of the things, one of the cliches that we have in our culture is in these movies where the bride at the last second runs away from the altar, like in the movie, The Graduate or whatever. And, and that would be kind of Robert Frost idea. Like you got two roads. I either marry this man or I don't marry this man. But now in life, we don't even have these like quintessential like moments. It's just like a thousand options bombarding us at all different times. So it's almost impossible to even have proper remorse or proper regret for something. Yeah, you're, you're saying that it's not as meaningful of a, decision if it's so much yes you you kind of dilute it right yes yeah exactly one is like it's a yes or a no (laughs) and when it's off it's gonna be off you know that kind of (laughs) let's let's shift gears a little bit why why do you think cotton that most people kind of that even though we have all you know many roads available it seems even with these thousand and one roads that we have many people seem to just follow a very conventional path in life. And in the sense that they go to school, they pick a career in which they are well suited for, or they know a lot of people, like I'm gonna be honest, like I know a lot of people who became pharmacists, nurses, teachers like myself. And it wasn't necessarily the road that was right for them. It's just that they knew a ton of people that were doing it. They just knew like, oh, everyone's studying accounting here, or I just, I know enough people and I have, my friends are in this class. So I'm noticing a pattern where people just choose roads that seem to be heavy, you know, like densely populated rather than roads that might fit their taste a little bit more specifically. Yeah. And I think that has to do with the social acceptance, you know, but, but then you always, so you want to follow something that's kind of popular a trend so that you're you know people really care about their reputation so much yeah that's you don't wear some kind of style of jeans or something you know if you care about that sort of thing which you know I have a strong opinion (laughs) about but um what's happening is so if you think about it somebody has to start the trend or some right there's all the followers but the person the first person um embarking on it He's so pseudo original. So I think in th- in terms of like, say, career, things like that, I kind of think of some sort of like Catholic religion. Okay, I'm not trying to pick on that particular. So what happens is um, historically or just experientially, people would just have this kind of experience, say, oh, so if you go to this school, if you major this kind of uh, major, then you make more money and you have a house and this is this. And over the time, instead of just kind of individual um, original choices, it becomes kind of fused, like kind of like a stew. So that like a Creole. 
so that it becomes this kind of methodology. And it happens in so many things, in almost everything. Something that was kind of intellect intelligently thought of, but maybe either just to make it more efficient, you hand out the stew. Or like, so for example, the Catholic Church, you know, I kind of pick on it and I don't mean to pick on it at all because, you know, everyone believes whatever they want. But one thing, because I was raised a Catholic, is one thing I knew growing up, going to Mass and all that, I never really read the Bible. They were get, we were handed missalettes, and we, were, we had to know exactly what to do, sit down, sit up, to the point where you don't even know why you're doing it, and mm. you make gestures. So it's kind of like that, and like, say, for, for example, it, you know, you just do it because that person's doing, that person's doing, or you want to be the trend. You know, you don't want to be a farmer because it's not cool. Or now maybe farmer is cool. <laughs> what is not a cool thing these days? I don't know what everything is. You know, what you're saying sounds exactly like the discussion I had with Dave about Milgram and, and conformity in the sense that a lot of these roads are packaged as safe, high, like, I like what you said about high paying job, like, many people will justify a lot of crazy stuff, or things that are really, mm -hmm. like, 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 a lot of people will package things that aren't that desirable, because, oh, it's a high paying job, or um, it's cool, or it's hip, and so forth. And I think you kind of need to, like, look really hard at what it is that they're trying to package and be like, well, okay, yes, you are right. That is a high paying job, but is it the job that's meant for me? And that's a fundamental question that most people don't ask themselves. Yeah, but because they're just lost in the gloss. And I think especially now in the social media lifestyle, that gloss is more evident. Yes. And and it's kind of like, if you don't have it, then you're a loser or you, you don't have something, you know, you're deficient and that, but you have to ask yourself, now that's why I was kind of backing Andrew Yang. Do you know him? He was, a yeah, dentist. yeah, I know him, you know, the universal of basic income. I mean, you know, I think that's a really good idea because you kind of have the basic necessities, food, shelter, just the basic, you know, sustenance, then you have more freedom to do what you want. And maybe you don't really need all that money to have like a 5,000 square feet home, maybe a thousand square feet, or maybe smaller or 2000, you know, maybe that would be sufficient. But since it's all kind of uh, bundled together, the survival portion plus one upmanship per you know per uh, portion it's mm -hmm. all bundled together into some sort of a commodity you have to do this or you don't and that's another area that i have major peeves about and strong opinion is the education the meritocracy you know um fallacy you know even my children you know of course in the beginning i was kind of also brainwashed um to think that this is the way you know you go to this way linear path you have to go shoot the highest what's the highest uh white house is that the highest or something <laughs> super rich but really is that really crowning 
achievement that I would want for my children. You know, I don't know. They they'll do whatever they want, but hopefully their mother is weird enough that I gave them kind of counter positions, you know, and <laughs> enough wiggle room, right? Um I like what you said about having uh basic needs met because I think that is fundamental. And and the reason it is is that if we are starving, right, if all of us are starving, we're all taking the conventional path. I don't care how much of an outlier or how special you think you are. Like if your basic needs are not met, you're going to probably do a lot of things to just survive and have food in, in your stomach. So I, I agree with you that you can't, you don't even have the privilege or you don't have the option to take an unconventional path if your basic needs are not met. So I think, I think that's important. I, I think having some kind of safety net or having some kind of wiggle room for people to take um, the unconventional path. It may not be like, I'm not saying mansions for everybody and then just premium luxury comfort for, for every artist or person out there. But I am saying that if, if you can ask yourself and say, okay, do I have enough money to, to pay rent and I have enough money for shelter and, and cans of soup or, or some kind of basic sustenance, then I think you owe it to yourself to start traveling down some unconventional pathways. Yeah, because that would be, I think, more exciting, you know, that getting myself into trouble, you know. I like my life and its quirkiness and it's heterogeneous. I can say that word. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I look at other people's life, you know, and they have their way and I, who am I to say your life is conventional and who, who are they to say my life is, you know, unconventional, or I don't even know if I'm unconventional or not, you know, because as Jordan Peterson says, you have to, in order to grow, you have to have some sort of chaos for a while and then mm. you have convention. So it's kind of unconvention to convention. And that's how you keep moving along. Yeah. And it, it, it's really like I, I, you know, I also I think I spent a lot of time trying to play the game of conventional for, for a very long time because I, I I thought that people would like me more. But now I'm starting to realize that when you start living the unconventional life at first, people maybe despise you or have a little distaste. But if you keep on living true to yourself, eventually they, they will hopefully come along. Yeah. And do you really care if, if those people come along? No. You know? <laughs> that's the, that's the, right? I mean, the right people will come along and that those are the ones that you want around. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I used to do a lot of kind of social experiments. Like I, I was wondering, I wonder what would happen if I had just had a lot of these social um, events, da, 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 you know, and um, it's kind of fun when it's happened, but then, you know, later on, when I thought about it, uh, I didn't find it so meaningful, um, you know, but then, of course, sometimes, sometimes I think, ah, bah, you know, maybe I should just become a hermit because <laughs> the way things are going with the world and everything. But then I thought, but then it's nice to have somebody, a human being yeah. around. So, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think we need some new guidelines and roadmaps for the 20 what first century yes yes and I, I i think it's i think it's a balance where you don't want to necessarily be a hermit you might have to become a hermit but the goal is you're not deliberately being like thoreau and just living in a log ca cabin and saying you know screw the rest of the world 
you you don't want to become a hermit if you don't have to, but I think that it's better to become a hermit than force yourself to walk down roads that you don't want to walk down, but just because other people are doing it. Oh yeah, for me, I'm very comfortable, but also this is where the the season, the age comes into our favor. Usually it doesn't, but this is only one time. Here's that we have this comfort of like uh, this the stereotype that old people are uncool. So we can really have the freedom to do whatever we want at this point <laughs> without regard for what we're doing, you know, because it's going to be, ah, look at that person, you know, they're doing that. Oh, eccentric, you know, those words. So it's kind of a safety, you know, to do whatever. But I think I was doing that all my life. So, you know, um, I recently read something and I don't remember the source, but somebody said, you really have, you have to confront life with uh, courage and fear at the same time. Mm, mm. And, you know, I love that because yes, you have to do that. Right. Because otherwise what's the alternative? Utter boredom. It's soul numbing boredom, you know, me it's like two right one road the other road it's like not a analog it's kind of discreet yes yes and i I like i I love i like what you say and i think that i think if we have any young people listening there just be uncool okay just stop trying to be cool and 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 take example from maybe the older generation and just be a square, but be happy, you know? And I think if, I think if we could all do that, we're all going to be traveling down the roads that we really want to be walking through. Cotton, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. This concludes the 51st episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.